My name is Steve Gilman, and for decades I've been helping brands engage with their audiences. On this podcast, we'll connect the dots in the fast-paced world of branding by talking with entrepreneurs, leaders, and marketers on the front lines of telling brand stories. Today I'm talking with Ken Marcus, senior writer at the Martin Agency, about trusting your team, what makes a great ad, and how to be single-minded in your messaging. So welcome to the Brand Story Podcast. My guest today is Ken Marcus, and Ken is the senior writer for the Martin Agency and has been with Martin for about 14 years, working with clients like Walmart, Pizza Hut, Nespresso, Sling, CarMax, Geico, probably too numerous to mention. He's also faculty at the VCU Brand Center where he teaches brand integration. And uh, welcome to the podcast, Ken. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Flattered to be asked. No one usually asks my opinions. It's always <laughs> flattering to be asked to talk about advertising. Yeah. I. You know, what's interesting is our whole idea with the podcast is, you know, I'm sure you see a marketing podcast. There's a whole ton of them out there. And they're almost always the CMO or the senior leader. And one of the things we decided to do is we're trying to get a really wide swath of people who tell brand stories. And, you know, from my experience of doing this 25 some odd years is, you know, the input and the great ideas come from all sorts of different directions. You know, it's on the client side, it's the people on the front lines, it's the social people, it's the, so we're really combining um, really different points of view, which is really unusual, I think, for a podcast. So, so far it's been going really well. Awesome. Yeah. So a uh, little perspective for people who don't um, know where Ken works, the Martin Agency is, I think, one of the agencies we all sort of look up to. You know, you all are one of the best in the business. I've followed the Martin Agency forever. And you all won 2020 Ad, agency, Ad Week Agency of the Year this year, which I think is amazing for the, for the year we all just had. And, uh, you know, working with clients like UPS and Geico and CarMax and it's just really impressive growth in this last year and the way you all help your clients. And I think your leadership is really pretty amazing. And I, I think your your CEO is also a, a JMU grad like you and I. Yeah, Kristen's a JMU grad. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yep. As am I. I'm, I'm JMU 93. That's pretty great. Yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of great people came out of JMU and still do. Yeah. And it's yeah. really unusual. I see a lot of people in our business out of JMU. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, they have a at the time they didn't really have a big ad program when I was there. I was just like a marketing and English double major, but now they have a very good advertising both on their SMAD program, media arts program, and and then more developed advertising marketing degree. Yeah, it's really grown. You know, when I went to JMU, I studied marketing probably just like you did, but I also had a theater directing degree. Oh, cool. So the two things I combined was you know directing pl- actually directing plays because when I went you could get a space at the experimental theater and put up anything you wanted. Yep. So there was some really great experimenting back then. And, uh, totally. you know, same thing with like marketing. I feel like when we went through JMU, it's still a really great place to learn, but there was a lot of freedom when I went through there. Yep. I don't think, you know, a lot of listeners might know, not know you individually, but I think they'd be really familiar with your work. And one of the reasons I was so happy to have you on there is I'm just a huge fan of the work you've done over the years. Well, cool. Thank you. Very it, flattering. Yeah, well, it's pretty amazing work. And I'm, you know, I think we all watch each other's work and some of my favorite stuff that just period, some of my favorite um, copy and favorite ads of stuff you've worked on. I appreciate that. Talking to Scott Whithouse, who I know you know, um, you know, uh, I think he's a fan of the work too. And it, it was just really fun talking to him about it and then getting in touch with you. So you worked on for Geico a lot of the 
campaigns that I think are kind of iconic, the happier than the it's what you do campaigns and the made easy campaigns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those have been recognized with so many awards. You know, you've, you've gotten everything from Effies to Webbies to Con to everything you can get. And I just wanted to get some of the perspective, some of your perspective on that work. Um, the, so for instance, the happier than that iconic Geico hump day ad, which has always been a personal favorite of mine. And, uh, you know, when that was out, you would hear, I would hear people around client offices and other offices doing the voice and doing the bit. And that's gotta be weird for you when, if you ever overhear that. I mean, I think it was the bane of uh, a lot of middle teachers, uh, existence for a while. Cause a lot of kids were taking over. Um, you know, honestly for hump day, I would say it was, it, you know, it, it's a good example. And I always say like the scripts are a starting line, not the finish line. And the, the end result was much better than it ever was on the script. Yeah. And there was sort of an alchemy of the, the voice talent was really special. The rhythm of his performance and, and just um, the real star for that was actually the editor really just found a cadence and a kind of rhythm to the spot. And, and I want to say the original script that even almost had him say hump day earlier in the script. So, but just that tension of guess what day it is till the very end. And so, you know, I, I pride myself. I'm like, I know a lot of marketers or advertisers want everything figured out. Uh, you know, at the agency level and the script level before I get into production. But, um, you know, if you find great partners and we have great editors, a great director, um, great client partners, creative directors, where, you know, you you set a stage for people to add things and build onto it and to um, be collaborative. Like that was an example of it was much, uh, the end result was a lot better than where we started on the script. So um, I pride myself on like, deep down not having to figure everything out and getting good funny people and talented people to add um their kind of thumbprint to it and um i think some the best work i've worked on is you know i like taking credit for other people taking <laughs> other people's stuff and i'll say sure. uh, some of the best stuff that we've come up with is you know it, it, the stuff that makes it memorable was stuff that people just added in the process whether on set or in the edit or the director um, for example, we we did that spot recently, just a different campaign. Uh, it was the ant spot for the amazing. And, you know, the script was fine, but, you know, the director and the talent added alone, she says, expired, expired. Like, there was just something you just throw out on set. And, you know, I give Geico credit, the client credit, where, like, a lot of clients were like, oh, you have to test this. Every little second of the storyboard has to be planned out and approved. And Geico's strength is, you know, obviously we we um, capture what is um, approved, but we they let the director and the talent add their own personality. And that that's the stuff that's generally pretty memorable and makes it more human and doesn't feel scripted or homogenized. Um, so uh, I give credit to all, all the partners and director was great. They're adding a lot. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's really rare in our industry sometimes. I think mm -hmm. too rare. And maybe that's what, you know, I've, there's sort of a secret sauce somewhere in the in the Geico um, world of spots and messages that I always admire. And it's that feeling of like, almost like creative freedom and fun where you don't feel like somebody focus group the hell out of the thing. Right. And I think there's a little bit of trust. I mean, you know, I think Chris and our CEO would say when you have a long, strong creative relationship with a client and it's not just project by project or just transactional where, they know you're not trying to pull one over on them. Yeah. They know you're not just trying to do it for award. You really are. Um, everyone's 
best interests are at heart and you want the work to break through the clutter. And so um, I think that trust builds up over, you know, doing a lot of work. Um, and that's, that's the byproduct of it. You, you have work that's um, more spontaneous and more human and yeah. Yeah. That ant spot um, still this day, you know, there's a ton that I look at and, you know, I've, I've done improv comedy for years and, and performed and, you know, obviously a theater, theater background as well as marketing. And, uh, you know, the comedy writing is really tight. I mean, all of it's really, really good comedy writing. So what's your all's process? Do you set out knowing like, okay, we're, we're coming up with bits. We're trying to come up with different things that'll grab attention and then work around that. How do you guys cut, what's your process to come up with those ideas? Cause you guys iterate like crazy. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's director-based, I would say. Like, I think each director works a little differently. Sometimes directors are much more open to just throwing stuff out. And, you know, usually I have a list of alt lines in my back pocket, and I drive the line producers crazy. I'm like, try this, try this thing. i got to move on. i try this, try this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I always say great spots are like going um, grocery shopping. You're not you're not going to find the spot in the grocery store. You're getting the ingredients for the spot. So people always think when you're on set, you're looking at this monitor and you're like, "That's the commercial." Like that's not the commercial. Those are the ingredients for the commercial. And really great work is actually assembled in the edit and and knowing dialogue. So for me, it's all about volume. Get this. Get this. Get this. Like I don't I don't like belaboring stuff. And because there's sometimes I you know I honestly don't know it's good until you see it. And so I'm, I'm always a volume person. I think people work differently, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm super greedy and I just want to get as much as we possibly can on set and trust that we have funny, good people and good editors that you know, can make us look smart. Yeah. And I think that's great to hear. And I think that's sometimes a lost art. And I think the people who can do it um, and can riff like that, I think they get a different, a different feel. It has this freshness to it the spontaneity, like you had said before, that really resonates because it doesn't feel over-directed, over-produced, over-scripted. And, you know, I can think of a lot of, uh, you know, I've always looked at this as an outsider looking at Geico and looking at the work and then seeing you all have a lot of imitators now, you know, or a lot of people who go, oh, that kind of comedy, that that brand of, you know, using juxtaposition to the, the message, I want that. So, you know, I can, I could name a few brands. I won't, but that to kind of try to do the same thing. And, you know, it's the sincerest form of flattery, but I still don't see anyone capturing that, that sort of freshness, that edge that you guys have. And maybe it is the collaboration. I think it's that, I mean, we're, we're very super grateful and lucky. We work with great directors and partners and our, our like I said, our clients, um, give us that trust that we, you know, sometimes we'll be doing stuff on set and you can tell them they don't like it and it's fine, but they <laughs> right. give us, they let you, you know like, okay you know this is the process and sometimes it makes a cut and sometimes it doesn't um but you know like um, they don't freak out if we're going in an area where they're not crazy about you know as long within reason so again i think it's just that um the, having a long-standing relationship gives you that trust that you know they can let you try dumb stuff and occasionally it will bear fruit yeah that's really cool that's great to hear because i always i always imagined that was the way it was going and it's nice to hear that that's actually the, the reality of it because it has that feeling to it. It has a freshness to it that you don't, I don't think you get at other with other brands. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, if you have a background in improv, I, I always look at my job as not really the writer. My job is almost like the showrunner or like to set up an environment where funny things can happen and then let them happen versus like, Oh, I, as a writer, when my partner, Sean is an art director, we're like we have to figure out every little thing. We, we should have some stuff figured out, but generally 
the best stuff is letting um, people funnier than us work. And, and you know, generally when we work, we cast in LA and we're casting from people with a lot of improv or groundlings or upright citizens brigade uh, backgrounds. We're like, they're funnier than we are and like let them be what they're supposed to be. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I don't think, I, I think there are a lot of writers that do it that way. And I think there are a lot that don't. And I think when, when, you know, I've seen writers and copywriters approach things like, this is what I wrote, this is what I want said, or even clients approach it that way. And I think the, the concept of a copywriter, showrunner, you know, whether you're producing or whatever your role is, letting, letting everyone add, I think is a real strength because the magic is in there somewhere. You know, sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes you get something that's just brilliant. Absolutely. We, um, another spot we did is on my reel. You probably saw was the, the spy mom. Yeah. I love that. The, the uh, woman is talking to her, calls her son in an inappropriate moment when he's like a, in the middle of this action movie sequence. And she was great. She was like so much fun in anything we wrote. And uh, I always say her audition, she sits down in the audition. She completely ignores the script. And she says, um, she's on the phone with her son and she's like, guess he's not a crossing guard anymore. <laughs> like, that's amazing. That is like, amazing. It, it was just like everything she did was funnier than what we had. And then when we had her on set, we, you know, we have our sheets of dialogue and she adds, um, and, uh, she was just great. And that's what you want. You want people that will elevate the material and you want to let them uh, do what they're supposed to do. And, you know, you, you write some stuff and then they, they go off and do their own thing. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, again, we're super lucky and we have great, um, cl- collaborators or directors and yeah. That's really cool. So how do you, how do you start your process when you're trying to come up with ideas like that? I mean, obviously people who do observational comedy, the, you know, life is rich with subject matter because I mm-hmm. notice a lot of the observations and a lot of the things that you're playing off of, like, you know, moms, the, the ant spot is a great example of that kind of comedy or the the mom on the phone that you just described where she's like you know the war with the squirrels is now personal you know for your dad that kind of stuff is like do you pull that from life do you are you looking for it as you're just moving through your day to day what's your process i mean a little bit i mean my aunt uh i just saw her this weekend she was not a fan of that spot (laughs) but um yes i mean i think it's more like um just sort of like human truths you know i think god's best work comes from a space of like humanity. Like I think when you, and I'm sure you know this, when you do a lot of comedy where like, there's definitely like, you get kind of weird and absurd and, 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 and sometimes we get in that space, but generally I think the best gecko work is there's a, a vein of relatability and humanity. And um, there, there is a, a, a thread of human truth across our best work. Um, not always, but a lot of time. And, you know, see, so you, you always, you know, especially, um, you know, if you, if you like campaigns, like it's, it's what you do. Like there was a relatability of, you know, um, you know, your mom calling at inappropriate times. We can all relate to that or, um, you know, so, um, yeah, we always try to have that now, you know, try and bring in some thing to get the viewers head nodding like, Oh yeah, that's me. You know? Yeah. I think that, uh, that people, people being able to recognize themselves and recognize, you know, themes of, absurdity in their own lives in the spots are really what make them so strong, you know? And I think it's some of the, some of the work, you know, we won't harp on this for a real long time, but I think it's the work, you know, you, there's a lot of talk and a lot of efforts with clients that really want to touch pop culture or be part of pop culture or reference it. And I really think what you all have been working together for a really long time, the brand team, big Geico and Martin, and obviously you're on the same page because I really feel like some of the things you guys have done have created pop culture moments 
not just reference them or, you know, jumped on the bandwagon of others. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, most recently I, I wasn't the writer on this, uh, another writer, Roger and, and Sean worked on the tag team for Scoop. There it is. And it's just, you know, just this lightning in a bottle. Like, you know, those, those two guys were so uh, just having fun and magnetic and, and vibrant and, you know, the, 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 the cast in that was great. And just in the director a guy named Dan Ospel from hungry man, which is great. They just, it was a little cultural moment in the bottle and just put it out there. And there's, it just, a little bit like hump day just gets in people's heads and you see it quoted and you know that's sort of what, what you aim for that you are trying to amplify our brand's message by ha- by breaking through and becoming part of culture um, so we try to do that across all our brands yeah well you guys are very successful at that it's like it's a blast to watch and i think a lot of other agencies no matter what the size we're kind of like a little mini martin um like we learn from you guys and and we're fans and it's really fun to watch so uh, the ural's work is amazing um, one of the things I wanted to ask about, about that and, you know, that relationship is you all, I, I see a lot of brands when they have a hit, you know, if you had like a, uh, scoop, there it is, or you had one of those, they rest on their laurels and they go, okay, how can I repeat that? How can mm-hmm. I keep going with that? One of the things I've noticed with what you all do is it's almost like you're never satisfied and you're, there's this iteration and new ideas coming out all the time that I don't see other brands do. There's a lot of new creative and a lot of new campaigns. So that, that iterative philosophy has got to come from somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think they've, and I can't take credit for this. I know internally, um, you know, there's this talk of multiple storylines where, you know, because Geico does so much, we can't just be all Geico or all savings or all, you know, home, home bundling that there's different strategic things that you want to take away. You know, obviously Geico's lead, messaging is about savings or 15 minutes could save you 15%, but there's other messaging like they can save you by bundling or they have a great, um, you know, 24 seven access to license agents. There's always other messaging. So instead of, you know, giving that its own space to breathe and be its own thing or 85 years of, you know, of service, like the gecko, like each thing has a more strategic role. So that you're not just not every campaign. I would say the secret is to be single-minded. Like a lot of people would be like, oh, we're going to put all these messages into one kind of container. Yeah. But I think what Geico does well is each thing has a role and it's single-minded. And even if it's executionally different, it's because it, it has a different it, it has a different goal and does its own set of heavy lifting that um, you don't have to put all the uh, reasons to believe or messaging in, in one uh, sort of creative uh uh, execution housing from a brand point of view it's it, there's through lines through all of them it's very clear and i think that's really strong and you know i think i think in some ways those those campaigns over the years have really changed the rhythm of of ads to to the to the better i think you that work has improved the vocabulary because there isn't there's more of a commitment to story i think through those than there is to make sure our product gets shown and mentioned nine times were you all really intentional about that, about how often the brand gets mentioned or any of that kind of thing? Or is that just habit by now? You know, I think it's structural. Like some of the probably smarter people can explain. I, I would say, you know, um, I don't think we have a rule of like, oh, you got to have a brand mentioned in the beginning. Obviously, they usually do at the end. But um, usually each campaign has a structure. So, 
um, you know, there's, for example, believe it. I can't believe it that this happened. The 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 core uh, proposition is usually in the center of the spot. I can't believe how easy it was to say with Geico. That's in the middle. Uh, it's what you do was always at the end. Um, happier than was always at the end. So it's usually like the campaign gives you that um, structure of where your brand message is. Um, we did a campaign with like with, with the with the um, walrus and goal with like all that messaging was up front. So it's usually the campaign that dictates when the brand is message and um, hopefully hopefully there's no rule and we sort of let the creative execution campaign dictate uh, where the best place is for the messaging. Yeah, I think that's something that's like really admirable from the point of view that there's there's a lot of brands out there still just trying to pack mentions and you all don't do that at all. You really honor the creative and let the creative speak for itself. And I just think that's that's something for all of us to learn from. Well, I read something and I'm ripping this off from somebody, but and I tell my students this is like, and this is like the simplest thing that most marketers should hear. If I threw three or four tennis balls at you, you wouldn't catch one. But if I throw one, you're going to catch it. And just being the discipline of being single-minded of, of is the hardest thing. They're like, I'm paying for all 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, I want as much messaging as I can. You're not going to absorb it. Um, most people aren't. So that's really hard to get your head around. But I think you know, a lot of great premier clients are very, the discipline to be single-minded and know that great communication is distillation uh, and, and boiling your message, not addition. I think that's a, that's an amazing point. Uh, you know, the great communication is distillation. And I think that analogy of how many tennis balls you can catch is really powerful. And, and it still surprises me this day how many people don't practice it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's one other campaign I want to touch on before I jump into some of the, your work at the Brand Center and then a bunch of other questions. The Sling campaign, the Slingers. Um, I just love that campaign. You know, it's for uh, for Sling and uh, Megan Mul- Mulva- Mulvaney. Yeah, Megan Mulvaney and, and Wally. Wally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And uh, yep. it's playful. It's really edgy. Um, how did the idea idea for that come around? You know, uh, there, we actually. Um, had a campaign preceding it where we met slingers and they were more ordinary people and they invited people over to sling. Um, you know, it was one of those ideas and I'll give the, uh, our creative director, Jerry and credit and the, the marketing team there were, um, you know, they, the sling did not have the marketing budget of a Hulu or Amazon. So they're like, well, we got to punch above our weight. We got to take big swings. And so we need something that is going to be a little more, um, lack of a better word edgy or kind of to cut through so they were willing to be a little uh you know a little ballsy there with the slinging swinging parallel but you know the good news is like this is a great example of like when creatives are showing work you're like you can just be edgy for edgy's sake but there was an undercurrent of strategy there of equating it with freedom and not having being no commitments and being not being tied down and having flexibility like all these things about swinging we can equate with uh your tv package yeah. uh, like it was kind of like it really wasn't a you know a parallel to freedom and so that kind of helped sell it where like i think if we were just doing the edgy weird sex jokes it wouldn't have worked but the, the fact there was like a underpinning of messaging that there were some real value propositions i think helped it and helped it break through and we did a few rounds of it yeah i really I, re- I really agree and i love the single-mindedness of it i love the i love the portrayal and the tone of like the smarmy characters who just won't let it go yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. this real comedy and the simplicity of repeating the gag over and over again which you know is classic comedy when you repeat it a few times it gets funnier and funnier 
So I really enjoyed that one. I thought it was very well structured and extremely well done. So yeah, but good stuff. And that's a great example of like I'm not going to tell Nick Offerman or Megan Molly like, how to tell a joke. Like they would rewrite stuff like in real time, and you're just like, well, let them go. Yeah, yeah. right. If you're not going to let them go, who are you going to let go? Exactly. I think that's something that like you know people who watch this program, you're going to get copywriters and and producers and different people at all different stages of their career and early in their career. And I think the perspective that you have of, you know, set people up and let them go is not something that I think everyone thinks about when they think about writing. No, I, I love taking credit for other people's jokes. I love it. That <laughs> makes me happier than someone comes up with a better joke than I would have come up with. Yeah. It's a shared experience. I mean, to get really good comedy, it has to be shared. So I'm glad to hear that it's kind of like pinging from the writers to the directors to the talent, you know, because that's really how it gets, it gets really good. That's the, the way it works. So you teach at the brand center and you, you teach brand integration. So what's that experience like for you? What is it like to teach the up and coming talent? It's cool. I mean, it's, it's humbling because you know, you realize how much I don't know and how much they do know, especially when you're looking at new mediums like TikTok or Instagram or, or Snapchat or something. I'm like, I realize how much I don't know. Um, but it's great. You know, um, I only teach writers, so I don't, I'm not, I don't have to stress about, you know, InDesign or design or stuff like that. I teach first year writers and, you know, I think our class gives them an opportunity to focus on one thing a week. Well, I think that there are other classes, they'll, they'll, they're more focused on a brand. Well, I'll say, okay, this week we're doing uh, social this week, we're doing outdoor this week, we're doing radio this week, we're doing headlines. Like, so it gives them a chance to, um, in a way they wouldn't in their other classes where they're much more turning out, um, uh, brand assignments across a wide range of medium in our class, we could sort of focus on one medium and like best practices and look at some of the, the best work within, you know, you know, social activations or, or, um, you know, brand acts or whatever it may be. Along those lines, like, you know, the, some of the things they, they learn from there and, and some of the things I think people that are in, in this industry at all different parts of their career are always trying to learn, you know, and trying to pick up new information and, you know, brands are, all across the spectrum from very successful with their messaging to not so successful. So what do you think the biggest mistakes you see in brands making with, you know, story or copy? Well, what we touched on earlier, just trying to do too much and um, trying to, you know, not stepping outside of yourself to be like, well, I, this is really important to us as a brand, but how do you connect that with, okay, how does that um, help me in my life as an audience member? What's the benefit to me? And sort of like, um, making that jump from, you know, uh, this old fashioned, but attribute to benefit. Okay. This is what we offer, but what is that real world benefit to me? And sometimes, uh, most brands or most creatives are so close to, um, you know, we're in love with our own messaging, but we're not making the jump for, okay, how does that make my life better? If I don't understand how does this solve a problem in my life? Um, you know, that's the biggest problem. I mean, it really, it's amazing how, uh, you know, I see messaging all the time where I'm like the, the people weren't thinking about who the audience is and what they care about, you know, cause it's entirely about the audience. Consumers are, are selfish. It's about what they want and what they care about every single moment of the day. So yeah, if you fall in love with your own, your own uh, proof points. Yeah. Or, or even, even for as creative as your own, like cleverness or own, like the difference between execution and something that's insightful and strategic that like, again help solve a problem for the uh for the audience if you don't understand that it's just then you're just being clever for clever's sake right you know? yeah you just fall in love with your own stuff 
Uh, so what's had the most impact on, on your perspective as a writer or storyteller? You know, I, for me, it's, you know, I would say it's the 10,000 hour rule where like for that Malcolm Gladwell thing, where like, um, doing something over and over and over and over and over again, got me uh, much better and, and underst- not understanding that, like that. Um, and I, I tell my students where, um, uh, being a creative is it's much more of a trade it's we're much more like plumbers or uh roofers that you really have to learn by doing and doing again and you start making shortcuts and you start making connections and so you know i think there's a lot of things i'm not good at but the things i am i'm stronger at is because i've done it you know ten thousand hours of it and that's hard to get your head around and I always say the worst thing a creative department could be called is a creative department. So it's just this idea like you're creative or you're, or you're not, or you have to have, if you're innately creative, you can just do this job. Or if you're not creative, if you don't belong in this department, like I think that's nuts. I think it's much more of a trade and obviously you have to have some innate ability, but the best people learn by doing over and over again. And, um, you know, when you're starting out, it's not that your ideas are bad or good or you're creative or not. It's just like you, there's a learning curve and you'll get better as you go and trust the process. So that took me a while to learn that you think, Oh, I'm just not creative or I don't, I'm not good at this, but you, you have to learn that, um, you know, it's going to take some time and you just get better as you go. And you only learn by doing. Yeah, for sure. So what, what do you think are some mistakes you made when you were younger in your career? Um, you know, I think most creatives go into, um, you know, uh, attaching too much of yourself to your work like oh they didn't like this campaign they didn't like this work they don't like you um you know something's wrong with this work something's wrong with you um just knowing that to separate your creative self-worth from any given campaign that's on the table at any given time i think that's the number one thing for creatives they just get so attached um to work that it's really just where you are at that moment in time and uh yeah I talk a lot about that with juniors where like you got to have a, a hard wall between you and your work. You know, you have to be sort of a, a cold hearted mercenary about stuff sometimes because <laughs> it's going to die and you have to be fine with that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it gets changed for great reasons. Sometimes it gets changed. You don't know why and you never will. And uh, I think you do have to have a thick skin and be able to just, you know, it's like being a, being a creative or being in the a copywriter or a producer in this, in this, industry it's a lot like being a cornerback in the nfl you know you're gonna have to have a really short memory yeah you can't think about that last fumble no you really can't you just have to keep going so you know you mentioned uh we were talking a little while ago you mentioned you know new media tiktok all that stuff and the the world of content is changing every single day so so what do you think the future looks like for copy and what kind of new demands are being put on you right now i mean you know it's not a secret that you know, younger people are consuming media differently and it's much more uh, bite-sized. It's much more uh, vertical, um, you know, uh, and I'm not an expert, I'll just say that, but like, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about TikTok and we, we had a, a workshop recently and they were talking about like, don't do ads, do TikTok. So much more being native and contextual where they are and younger people are much more, um, you know, they're just more uh, suspicious of overly branded, overly, um, being propositioned, uh, you know, being marketed to. So we have to be smart about that. So we do have to dial up the relatability and the authenticity with that audience. And um, so I think that's the name of the game of, 
authenticity has to come from a, a grounded human relatable place. And if they feel like it's too much marketing speak or you sound like a brochure, I mean, I think young people are super sophisticated when they know they're being marketed to and they sh- sort of shut down. So that's, you know, it's good, but it's harder. It is. Yeah. I mean, their BS filters are finely tuned yep. and they're suspicious of all messaging. So it is harder. And uh, is it is it harder harder to write shorter and shorter format? I think so. You know, I mean, they say like 15s are the new 30s. Yeah. Your, your concept better work in 15. And people are like, what are the sixes? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so I will say one thing on that is like, you, you do have to be a little bit more visual. Yeah. People are scrolling. Right. You know, your, a lot of our concepts are becoming more visual. Um, they're just more, um, they'll stop you. Like there's a, some kind of juxtaposition or something that surprises you visually, not just dialogue or audio wise. I think that is a big change that, that the whole industry is going through where you have to think, you know, what's the, what's the visual hook instead of what's the, what's the copy hook or the other kind of hook. Um, so how do you work to get the most out of it? So you have an idea and it's going to be used in multiple formats. You're going to have long form, shorter form. How, what kind of work do you do to get the maximum value out of all those different variations and iterations? I mean, I'll just say for Geico, we usually will have a, a concept and then we'll, It'll be a 30, we'll do a 15, there'll be a vertical, we may uh, do some sixes out of it. There's some stuff we'll use for Instagram and hopefully there's something in there that's um, insightful enough that you could do different iterations on or sort of, you know, riff on uh, that could could live in other uh, formats. Again, being visual helps, like a lot of times, you you know, because Instagram is such a visual thing, you won't, people don't have sound on. So have titles, your supers, do the heavy lifting. So it's almost like a lot of the best, in my opinion, it's almost like the new outdoor. Like it has to be very engaging. There's motion, obviously, but it has to stop you in the same way a billboard does. Very quick, very visual, not a lot of words. And so hopefully all our concepts have something that we can boil it down to its essence and still work in six seconds or 15 seconds, no sound on. Yeah. And I think that's a format where going back to what we were talking to a little while ago, like if somebody doesn't realize that you can just throw one tennis ball instead of three, yeah, you know, and they want to pack, you know, benefits or information into these short forms, you end up with just, I don't know, a fruit stand of information, really. It's yeah. crazy. Well, the good news is you can like swipe up to for more or click here or like whatever. So you have that opt-in, but yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like a, a really challenging and uh, kind of a fun challenge though. I can do you feel like you've been doing this a while? Um, so I think you've been in the industry, like what, 25 years, something like that, 20 odd. Yeah. yeah that's about right. Yeah. yeah. So how do you like, you know, a lot of people I've seen in our industry, you know, they burn out because they don't like change. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't let, you know, they get to the point where they're like, man, I was good at 60 second spots and I love them. And I don't like, you know, I don't want to do a 15 now that, that I'm being asked to. And, you know, all these new formats are frustrating. How do you cope with the constant change? Because some people don't cope well. Uh, I think if you ask people at work, what they say I don't cope well. But, <laughs> um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's just about humanity and being relatable and having that truth in there and being fun and surprising. And, you know, uh, hopefully that is a constant, um, you know, being surprising. But, um, you know, I think there's definitely some brands I don't think I would thrive on. Um you know, maybe stuff if it's skewed a little younger or whatever, uh, you know, I probably would struggle. But I do think there's a, for Geico, there's, there is a broader cross section of the country where it appeals to. It's just a little bit, lack of a better word, more mainstream comedy. It's not weird for weird sake. 
you know, it's not too absurdist. Um, so hopefully there is that relatability in humanity and something that, you know, I can see myself in this, even in this fun, weird, twisted world, there's some truth to it that connects me. And I'm hoping that's age agnostic. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think there's, there's messaging that is definitely like, you know, on this edge that it appeals just to, you know, the TikTok generation, you know, the people that just want that kind of thing. But that's one of the things I love about Geico is I think it really does appeal to a broad range uh, of audiences because the humor is pretty universal. And I think that's one of the strengths of what you guys do is you don't, you don't pick things that are so specific that you alienate people. You pick experiences that I think all of us have, you know, parents, those kind of things. And I will say, and this is kind of, like I would say brands are doing less humor. Like, you know, if you look at classic humor brands like FedEx, this uh, is sports center. Um, there's a handful of others I can't think of maybe some, uh, like be like Bud Light or class, like they come and go with Bud Light and parents or Miller Light. Like you just, there are less brands doing humor. Um, it's not to say they are, I mean, through the competition, but progressive does a good job. And there's a handful of brands that do a good, great job and we emulate, but, um, but short form humor, there's less and less of it. So um, hopefully we could still um, play in that space and, and, and stick out. Yeah, I think I think so. Why do you think there are less brands doing it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have a diatribe on that. I don't know how true it is. But I think, you know, this whole – I'm not slagging on them because I like them. But that like, start with why Simon Sinek, you know, the yeah. whole like – like, what's our purpose? What's yeah. our, like we're very self-important, and sometimes they're just like, no, um, you know, we must always operate from a place of the audience doesn't care. The audience does not. You are a nuisance. We forget we're a nuisance. We forget we're a distraction. We forget that people pay to avoid us. So we we can't always assume that they're in the mind space that they want to hear how important we are or all these important things we're doing. Sometimes they just want to be entertained. It's like that Howard Gossage thing. It's like people just want to watch things that they like, and sometimes those things are ads. I'm, I'm sure I butchered that quote. But. No, no, but I got, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I love that perspective. I'm going to talk about that some more because I think there's a place, you know, and it's it's very useful to connect with people's values, but it's also in some ways a trend right now in that everyone isn't walking around thinking about their values 24 hours a day. Everyone isn't motivated. There's a lot of times during the day where I just wanted to smile or other people just want to smile and laugh at something. And sometimes entertaining someone is doing them a favor depending on what's going on in their life. And so, and I think, you know, it's become, there's a lot of messaging that's so earnest about, um, you know, what we're doing in the world and how we're making a difference and how we care that it's starting to become very homogenous. Yeah. And it's not to say I'm not a fan of some brands doing that really well. Like, yeah, some know, people kill it, but translation just really did that stuff for you know, you love me, you love me not for uh, beats, and it was just super lovely and great and impactful and insightful. And you know, there's a lot of great work in that space where, again, like if you can be very surprising and human, um, you know, there's obviously a, a place for that stuff to break through and really have impact, but. Sometimes I think a lot of brands forget that we're a distraction and, yeah. and we're, and not everyone has the mind space that we do as marketers would be like, this is really important. Everyone cares about this. It's like, no, they just want to look at Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> they're <laughs> just, they just watch a football game. Yeah. They're just busy and distracted. Yeah. And I think there's some brands that connect to purpose so naturally 
that they're made for it, that, that if we see it, we're like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I get it. But that's one of the things with Geico is like, you know, what Geico offers is important and we need it. But I think, I think the brand team and then everyone involved is smart enough to know, like you could be, t I've seen other companies in that space tell me how it's going to save me or make my life better or, you know, do these, do all these things that are more aspirational or more, you know, values based for however you want to put it, but you all stay committed to this comedy. So every time I think about the brand, I smile and that's pretty rare. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's the product is insurance and you know, that's not a smiley product usually. And every time I think about Geico, I'm always grinning because you, you guys just have entertained me for years and years. Yeah. I can't take credit for that. Really. That was something that came <laughs> 20 years ago of like, inside of like everyone else in the category was doing you're in good hands or trust your local agent. And then they just realized actually people don't want to think about getting into an accident. They don't want to think about when something goes wrong. They, so they, they just, the role of insurance in most people's lives is just a bill and they want to keep it low, uh, you know, 90% of the time, 99% of the time. So that was, that was a sort of a big breakthrough. And that's a really smart insight. And the, but I think the fact that, that you all have stayed committed to it for so long, I think that's brilliant. I think that's just, you know, something to be extremely proud of and admire because it's so consistent that it's, you know, someone else could get in charge and think, oh, let's do, let's do you're in good hands. But I just don't think that brand is so established as being the brand that lightheartedly reminds us of these things that I think it's just such a strong position. You guys kind of own it. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. What do you think for you? is the most challenging part of being a copywriter today in today's world. You know, this is a credit to our clients. Like you, you have to have some brave clients. You have to have some clients that are willing to, to, to cut through by definition, you have to have a little bit of an edge. It doesn't mean you have to be super edgy or, you know, um, throwing F bombs or whatever, you know, but you, you do have to have brave clients and it is hard when, um, Sorry, my dog is barking. Oh, no worries. Uh, you know, um, you know, you have to have clients that are willing to get on board and take risks sometimes, and calculate risks, smart risks. But if you're always playing it safe and playing not 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 to lose, it, it, that's a struggle. So I think as creatives, you and I, and I do think clients are self-selecting. Like they they reach out to the kind of agencies that are doing the kind of work they want. So hopefully, yeah. if they're reaching out to you know, a wide end, a Droga, Martin, or whoever, right? They are reaching out for the kind of work that they do. Um, and, you know, there's advantages to all those agencies. Uh, but, um, you know, hopefully um, you, you want clients that share the same uh, appetite for, um, you know, affecting culture and getting work talked about. But by nature, you have to do some things that are outside of the norm to, to kind of break through the clutter. Uh, I mean, it's really admirable when brands do that and they don't, think they want to do it, but they don't really want to do it. I think, you know, the people that self-select and the people you all end up working with, you know, um, always are ready to take some risks and the right kinds of risks. Um, so what's a piece of advice that you've been given about, you know, this industry or, or your specialty in it that's really stuck with you? That's a good one. I don't remember who gave me this, but don't take praise too seriously and don't take rejection or criticism too seriously. So like, you know, just know that it's fleeting and it's, 
just where you are, that place in time, like I said. So, like, you know, awards or praise, like, cool, cool. You know, this sucks. It's, you <laughs> yeah. know, I hate this ad. Cool, cool, cool. You know, you, you do, you start to see the long arc and you see sometimes how arbitrary some react someone's reactions can be and sometimes it's where you are in that moment of that piece of business and culture or what that person's feeling in the moment and um you know again like i said earlier don't take things personally and um when you're doing creative you you really do have to you know have some distance between your work and yourself and your own sort of self-esteem and you know so that's the thing i think is like you know it's cool to get praise but it's also you know, yeah. it's fine yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's a really healthy, healthy way to look at it. I know. I sound super healthy and well adjusted, <laughs> but I'm not at all. Right. <laughs> Sometimes I'll get up and I was like, you know, I'll be all upset yeah. or something happened. I didn't win awards or something didn't buy something I loved. So, you know. Yeah. But I have to go back to that where like it, this is temporary, it's fleeting. Yeah, at least you're aspiring to it. And, and also like our our job is in the, I'm, I'm sure in your end is the same, where like by nature when things are subjective. It's just a dysfunctional process. Yeah. It's arbitrary and the targets moving and the goalposts are changing and all that stuff. And just to always step back and be like, we're super lucky to do what we do. Um, and being grateful, like we someone pays us to come up with ideas and make them and put them out in the world. And just even when things are frustrating, I try to remember like we're super lucky to do what we do. Yeah. We could, you know, the people in our industry don't have, uh, you know, jobs in public transportation, for instance, or right. sanitation, right. or there's a, there's a lot of stuff we're not doing that I think that helps me too, because, you know, you're right. It's really subjective. Sometimes you'll, you'll have worked on something and someone comes in and goes, Nope, don't like it. And they can't explain it, but that's the way it's going to be. And you just have to be able to have a healthy attitude towards it. You just burn out. Thousand percent. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I don't only have a couple more questions and I'll get you out of here, but what do you feel, think makes you feel most inspired at work? Um, when I see other people doing stuff uh, within the agency um, that, you know, I know I couldn't have done. And, you know, we've done some really lovely work for DoorDash recently. Um, they have a new documentary. They just launched at Tribeca this week called The Soul of the City. It's all about, um, you know, about the 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 role of, uh, you know, owners of restaurants, especially like immigrants and, and, and first generation immigrants and people of color just like it's really inspiring about really like the heart of the restaurant business in new york and when i see stuff i know i couldn't have done and it's not my sweet spot or whatever and i i'm always inspired by different facets of work and tone and and um you know especially seeing younger people come up and uh, deliver and you know it's cool it's, it's always inspiring to see young people to like do cool stuff that you know you could not have done and they're bringing their voice and their you know, their experiences and their authenticity to projects and that, that stuff gets me fired up. Yeah. That's, that's great, man. I've, you know, that's one of the reasons like trying not to be too much of a fanboy talking to you today, but like your all's work inspires me. You know, I, I love our work, but our work's really different. We have different kinds of clients and, but you know, I watch you guys and I'm always celebrating your successes along with you. Cause I just love it and it makes me feel fired up. So this past year, my last two questions, this past year, you know, you're working from home right now. It has been really challenging. But what's the most positive thing you took away from it? Um, I feel like I manage my day better. Like I'm less, I mean, I realize how much time I'm wasting in the office just like dicking around talking to people. And like, hey, what's going on? Um, you know, I'm much more efficient. I feel like, um, you know, get to see my kids more and my wife more. And I, mean, I think everyone's kind of playing that back. You just get more family time. I just feel like I'm a lot more efficient. 
um, and that's what I've taken from this. Um, you know, when, I, when I'm not, uh, I, I don't know, when I, you know, there's a lot of distractions with the office. I feel, I feel like at home, I'm just a little bit more focused. Yeah. So yeah, I hope you get to continue to keep that because it's a, it's, there's been some real things that I think we've gained throughout this. Oh, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. My wife wants me out of the house. She's not, <laughs> she's not as pleased with me being around as I am. Uh, she's ready for me to go back. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, that, that can happen. <laughs> so, uh, last question. So what advice, um, would you give your younger self from today? It's a marathon. Uh, it's not a sprint. And um, I, I know scratch. That's a, that's a good one. Like, you know, like you, it's not a sprint. Don't burn yourself out too soon. Don't be sprinting at mile two or three. It is a marathon and take care of yourself. But I think the big thing, and this is a good lesson for all creatives is, and, and I'm not great at this, but sort of like, what's that saying? Like comparison is the thief of thief of joy. Like if you're always, it's creatives, creative people, advertising people are naturally very competitive. We're always like comparing ourselves. Oh, that person got this Super Bowl spot. That person's at this agency. That person got this award. That person got this on this assignment. And you're always going to play that game. That person's won this pitch. They're at that agency. And I feel like that. You know, I did. I I did a lot of that early on. And it's just not healthy. You just have to sort of compare yourself to yourself and your own growth. And going back to the marathon, like, don't compare where you are at mile two when someone else is at mile seventeen. Like, you're in different parts of your journey. And uh, try, you know, just kind of focus on yourself. Again, I sound very well adjusted. I'm not at all. I'm always on LinkedIn, being like, "What's a holes?" Can't believe he got that. Exactly. Yeah. So I sound really uh, enlightened, but I'm not. Well, uh, it's good to at least present to the world that you're enlightened, and then yeah, then, you know, on the side, be dysfunctional. That's really the best yeah. way to be. Yeah. So, well, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. This was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me and I appreciate all the kind words and uh, yeah, I'm uh, always happy to talk to JMU alum and stuff. I talked to JMU once they had me like some ad club function yeah. like five years ago. I think I dropped too many F-bombs. They never <laughs> called me back. But I still am proud of going there. Yeah. I th- you know, that's one of the reasons we started this podcast was, you know, my interest in talking with, you know, I spent a lot of time with, you know, other executives and CMOs and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm just really passionate about the people that do the work. You know, and I've done, you know, I was talking to Scott when I was first starting my career, I edited video, I did a ton oh, of editing, you know, I've directed, you know, productions yeah. and plays. So it's the people who make the stuff that I just want to talk to, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I just yeah. think this is a blast and we're, we're kind of trying to connect the dots with that, with the people who actually run companies and are in mm-hmm. leadership because, you know, it's all storytelling. We're all just trying mm-hmm. to tell a story and we're all sort of yeah. in the same, same boat here so it's kind of a cool thing to try to pull together i mean what's kind of neat is what's happening now and we see it is like the barriers for production and video and and having good production buyers so much lower than they used to be like you you know you with the editing and the shooting you if you're smart on especially at the conceptual level you can do something on a national international level even though for a fraction of the budget yeah Um, so i think the game has really changed for people that are smart about embracing simplicity you know conceptually could do very you know work that competes with anything yeah absolutely yeah, yeah it's it's super cool awesome well i appreciate you having me and it's super flattering to be asked and people ask me questions about what i think no one cares what i think it's nice, <laughs> to, be, it's nice to be no one in my house cares what i think my kids don't care so it's nice to yeah. be asked <laughs> it's, good, it's good to have a minute where somebody really is into what you're th- yeah. what you think so yeah, yeah. Cool. well i appreciate you having me it was lovely meeting you